Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. We are so glad you are joining us today. Here at Skyline, our mission is to engage people to the gospel, connect them to Christ, and empower them to serve. For more information, visit our website at skyline.church. We hope today's message helps you feel engaged, connected, and empowered. Good morning. Glad to be with you guys today. Happy to be here. Looking forward to getting into God's Word with you guys. Uh, If you came today expecting pretzels with the, maybe you came only because you thought today is pretzels with the pastors. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't want to disappoint you. Our, our pretzel bakers are out of town, and uh, we are, are going to have cookies, though. Cookies with the pastors. It doesn't sound as good, right? Cookies with the pastors, cookies with the clergy, cookies uh, in conversation, whatever you want to call it. But uh, we would love to, to hang out with you. If, you if you're new, first time, second time, been here a few months, not connected. We'd love to, to get to know you a little bit, just share a little bit of the vision of the church with you. Uh, here, uh, as you exit, turn to the left, go down the hallway, there'll be a sign there. Uh, follow your nose to the cookies, and uh, we'd love to, to meet you and say hi. So please stop by after service and, uh, and catch up with us today. So uh, looking forward, we're getting into kind of a really pivotal part of Scripture as we look at going through the Gospel of Mark. If you're new with us, we've been going through the whole Gospel of Mark, so you can kind of go back on YouTube and you can find all those messages. Uh, you, can, you can watch those. They'll, they'll put you to sleep every night. Uh, so if you're having trouble sleeping, I recommend it. And uh, here we are on the night of Jesus' betrayal. Last week, we talked about the Lord's Supper. We talked about, you know, Jesus had this last supper with his disciples. And this week, we're getting into this point, man. I mean, there's a, Mark spends a lot of time focusing on these last few days, few moments of Jesus' life. And that's where we're going to be at today. The opening of this today's scripture opens up with Jesus entering the Garden of Gethsemane. So we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Gethsemane today. This place, Gethsemane, was a garden located right outside the city of Jerusalem. Lots of uh, olive gardens out there. And uh, so we, you can actually go, and they, and they believe, to the place or to the garden or a garden that's very similar to the one that Jesus was at now. Uh, but right outside, it was a plot of land full of olive trees. And olive trees are these kind of gnarly looking trees that have been there and they grow olives. Uh, it sounds like a horrible place to me. I hate olives, so not a big olive fan. Uh, but I do love olive oil. And this was also a place back in, in the first century where they would not only grow the olives, but they would also make the olive oil. So every uh, olive field would also have a place to, to grind up the olives, a place to extract the oil. They would have a press there in there. So you would go, you would collect your olives in a basket, and then you would take it to the press, and you would uh, kind of use a crushing stone to crush all the olives, and then you would apply pressure to extract the oil from them. And so it was a, it was a really great place unless you were an olive. Not a great place if you were an olive because it was, it was your birth but also your ending right there. But this place is where Jesus came to have this moment of prayer, this moment before he was to be betrayed. It's kind of a fitting place for Jesus to go in such a a pressure-packed, pivotal moment of his life. He goes to this garden to pray. So we're gonna read about this experience tonight. We're gonna read about what happened to Jesus. We're gonna read about him coming to this place where for him it was the point of no return. This was the point where he decides, am I gonna do the Father's will or will I do my own will? We face those times in our own life, right? Those points where we're like, am I gonna do what God says or am I gonna do what I want? Am I gonna do what God wills or am I gonna do what I will? 
Maybe you're in a Gethsemane of sorts right now. Not the garden, but, but your life is kind of this Gethsemane where you are faced with a, a pressure. You're feeling squeezed by the chaos of life. You're feeling overwhelmed by the decisions that you have to make or the, the current circumstances or you're overcome with anxiousness over what may come down the road. You're in this place and it's a pivotal, pressure-packed moment in your life. So today we're going to look at Jesus and we're going to look at his mindset while he's in the most intense, pressure-packed, pivotal moment of his life, and maybe we can learn from Jesus and appreciate Jesus a little bit more. So Mark chapter 14, we're going to read verses 32 through 42, starting in verse 32. It says, and they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Jesus didn't take all of his disciples. He had 12, but he took just three. He says he took with him Peter, James, and John. These were Jesus' closest, his confidants, his inner circle, if you will. So he takes them, and uh, they began, it says, uh, he, he took them, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And so going a little further, Jesus fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, this hour might pass from him. And then he said, Abba, Father, that Abba is like Daddy. It's a very personal term of endearment. He said, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup. This, this cup is, you know, that's a, a cup is, is a way for him, a metaphor for him saying, what I'm about to drink, what is about to come my way, the cross that is coming, the, the wrath of God that I'm going to face here. If it's possible, remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. And Jesus came back, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch just for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and he prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to answer him And he came a third time and he said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's pray. God, as we look at your word today, God, I pray that we would have an understanding of the the place that Jesus was at this moment. That, Lord, we might have a glimpse of what was going through his heart and his mind in this moment. That we might have a little bit of an understanding about the types of emotions or feelings that he might have felt, Lord. And that we might learn from him, ultimately, how that we might live in this life to give glory to you. Jesus is our supreme example you've given to us. And so, Father, help us to learn from him, to live for your glory, for your kingdom. Lord, help us today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
This text is very unique because um, um, as much as any other, I believe it gives us a glimpse into uh, the dual form of Jesus. That as Jesus, God in the flesh, he came to earth, he was both fully God and fully man. He was the 200% man, which is mind-boggling, right? But he was, he was fully God yet, but he was fully man. And as he came to earth, you know, as God in the flesh, he, he chose to veil himself from, from some things. And so as he was preparing to go, he suppressed parts of his divinity as he was cloaked in the flesh. And R.C. Sproul speaks of this, and he says, in this story, what we read is we read, the human Jesus praying to the divine Father for relief from the agony, yet at the same time, he's indicating his perfect commitment to the Father's will. As we look at this story, Jesus is preparing to face the unthinkable, to go through what none of us would or could go through. And Jesus says, in this moment, in this pressure-packed, pivotal moment of his life, he says, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. I think it's important to look at this scripture, and in this scripture we see that Jesus spoke of his feelings to the Father. Sometimes we get caught up in our feelings. We get all up in those feelings, and sometimes we make all of our decisions based upon our our feelings. This is how I feel, so it has to be right, because this is how I feel. And so Jesus here is, is admitting that he too, in the flesh, in humanity, is having feelings that may be contrary to what the Lord would have him do. And so he speaks honestly to God about that. And so we know as Jesus is doing it, he who has not sinned is doing it. We know this is not wrong to have these these feelings. It is not wrong to confess those feelings to the Lord. But he also emphasized his desire to do what the Father wills above all else. God, this is how I feel. If there's any other way, I don't want to do it this way. If there's any other way, but God, not my will, but yours be done. We should learn from Jesus. We should speak honestly as we pray to the Father. We should always follow that honesty with our honest feelings and our honest desire that we would do his will and not ours. I want you to know there's nothing wrong with you expressing your true emotions to God. Prayer is is nothing but a conversation with God. It's us talking to God. When we relay our emotions to God, those emotions that we may be scared that God can't handle, we may be scared that God will be hurt or offended, you have to know that God knows those emotions and those feelings that you're wrestling with already. You're not surprising him when you tell them. He's listening. He's waiting. And so we go to God and we say, God, I'm scared. God, I'm hurt. God, I'm angry. I'm depressed. I'm doubtful. It's okay. For us to let God know, Jesus did that here. But know also what Jesus did. He not only confessed those feelings, those emotions, that pain, the agony, but he also confessed and reaffirmed his commitment to do what God had wanted. God, this is how I feel, but God, this is what I'm gonna do. God, I I feel like this is too much. I feel like I don't wanna do this. God, I feel like if there's another way, we should do it. But at the end of the day, it's, it's not my will, but it's yours that I want to be done in my life. For us, it may be, God, I'm having a really tough time not doing this, or I'm having a really tough time, Lord, doing this, and and I don't want to do this. My nature really wants to do this, or my sinful nature really wants to do that, but God, we vocalize our commitment to him, but I, I know that your will is what's best for me. I know, God, what you want is really, at my core, what I want and what I 
need. Jesus sets for us in this text the perfect pattern for whenever we're in these Gethsemane type moments, these moments that are full of pressure and pivotal moments in our life. The pattern is to prefer what the Lord has planned. That is the pattern that Jesus sets for us. That you and I, we should in these moments always remember that we need to prefer, that we need to put first what the Lord has planned. We want the Lord's will over, over our will. We want what the Lord wants more than what we want. We want his will over our own comfort or our own agenda or our own plans. Why? Why would we want that? We prefer it because his plans have greater purpose than we are capable of comprehending, of creating, or even contemplating. The, the Lord's plans have greater purpose than we're capable of putting together or creating ourselves. It'd be like uh, if, I, if I went out and uh, after church I took my four-year-old and I'm like, all right, Judah, man, like, you take us home, buddy. Dr- lead us home. I'll drive. You tell me where to go. Here's what would happen. We would probably make the first turn, right? We would turn left out of the parking lot and we would start heading the right direction. But then we would come to a roundabout. And, and then Judah would get a little confused. But, you know, ultimately what he would do? He would get real confident. And he would say, this way. And so I would go that way, and then he would be real confident at the next intersection. He would say, go straight, or go left, or go right. And I would follow him, and he would be confident that this was the best way, and this was the right way. Maybe he'd see a McDonald's, and it would lead him astray. He would see these things. He would be confident in his answers. But at the end of the day, what would happen? We would be hopelessly lost, right? We, we would not make it home. We would not make it to our destination. We would make it somewhere, and he would be confident that that's where we ought to go, But it wouldn't be home. It wouldn't be where we ought to be. And this happens so much with us. We get so confident that we know the best way, that we know the right way, that God, this must be what you want because I feel like it. I feel like this is right and I feel good about it. And so we start to prefer our plans over his plans. And what happens at the end of the day is the same thing. It happens if we let our four-year-old navigate our car. It's only a matter of time when we're gonna be hopelessly lost. Finding ourselves in a place where, like, where am I? How did I get here? And how do I get back home? Jesus sets an example that we must prefer his plans over our plans. We prefer his plans in faith, in faith that he knows better than us. I mean, we serve God because we believe he knows better than us. We have faith in his ability to see and understand those things that you and I, we cannot see and understand. He sees and understands, you know, the past and the present and the future, and he understands how they all work together, and he sees that in our life, and the Father knows what is best for us, and he knows what is best for his kingdom. So we prefer what the Lord has planned, and Jesus sets that example for us here. One great sign of Christian maturity, one great sign of understanding of God is when you find a person who has a desire and a willingness to submit their will to the will of God, to submit their feelings to the truth of God. That's a great sign of Christian maturity and understanding of God. So while this story here demonstrates to us the humanity of Jesus, it also demonstrates to us what true courage is as well. I've had this talk a couple times with my my nine-year-old who, you know, I'm scared, or I'm scared of this. And we talk about fear, and we talk about being afraid. But true courage is not that you're never afraid. It's not that you're never scared, but it's that you, you see your fear, you recognize your fear, 
and you're willing to do what is necessary anyway. And that's Jesus here in this text. Not that he is unafraid. I mean, his prayer, I think, reveals he's kind of afraid of what is about to come down the pike. Not that he is unaware. He's not aloof to what is happening. He knows very well what is about to go down. He knows his betrayer is coming, and that will set in line a set of dominoes that will lead to his death. But courage is that we're fully aware of the risk, that we're fully afraid, and yet we choose to do what is necessary still to save others. And that's what Jesus did here in Gethsemane. Aware of the risk, aware and afraid, yet he chose to do the Father's will. He chose to do what was necessary to save us. I don't know if you read this story or heard this story about these hikers in Wyoming. There were some hikers in Wyoming. They were wrestlers. They were on a college wrestling team together, and they were hiking in Wyoming, and uh, they were going through the woods, and they were far off on the trail, and a grizzly bear came out. This just happened last week. You can look it up and, uh, and check it out. And this grizzly bear pops out, attacks one of the guys, grabs his arm, breaks it, mauling him, and the other three guys have to decide, what am I going to do here? Obviously, fully afraid, fully aware of the risk that's going to happen, and one of the guys jumps on the bear, jumps on the grizzly bear, starts pulling the hair, hitting him, screaming at him, trying to do anything he can to get this grizzly bear off of his friend. Well, it works. He, he lets go of his friend, and he then attacks him. And he gets small. He gets it even worse than the first guy. But then the other friends, they yell and they scream and they throw things and they get the bear to kind of scurry off. They hike six miles back to the trailhead. They get this guy off to the ambulance. They both survive. They're both living today and telling the story of their friendship and their willingness to do whatever it took to help one another. But I heard that story and I thought of this moment here. On a much smaller scale though still, this guy saw. He saw his friend who needed him and he said, I have to make a decision. Will I risk it all, unknowing how it will end up, or will I walk away? Will I save my friend, or at least try to, or will I walk away? His friend was glad to do it. But I think if you asked him, he would wish it wasn't necessary. That's kind of like the story of parenting. In parenting, we make so many um, sacrifices, right? We're glad to do it for our kids because we love our children. Right? We want what's best for them, and we want to give these good things to them. But there's sometimes where we're like, man, I'm glad to do this for my kid, but I wish I didn't have to. Like, I wish that it wasn't necessary that I had to do this. God, if there's any other way, please make it possible. Because, but we're, we're glad to do it because it's our kids. That's a story of parenting. It's a story of friendship. But more than anything, we see this example in the story of Jesus, that he saw us. He's glad to do it. Wish he didn't have. Wish there's another way. That's his prayer. God, if there's another way, let there be another way. But not, not what I will, but what you will. So I will do it gladly. Not my will, but yours be done. So we've learned here from what Jesus prayed. And I hope that if you're in a, a Gethsemane type moment that you can find some uh, guidance, some, some hope in the mindset of Jesus, that we pray that. Not my will, but yours be done. We trust the Lord in faith. But we also need to learn from what Jesus told his disciples. What did Jesus say to those guys he brought there with him? Well, in Mark 14, you know, he had just came back and, and he told them stay and watch and he returns. And in verse 37 and 38, it says that uh, he, he returned and when he came, he found them sleeping. 
And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? And then he gives them instructions. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We gotta think for a second, okay, the context here. If we look at this passage of scripture and we remember what has happened recently, back in verse 31, just six verses earlier, Jesus is at the table with the disciples, says, one of you guys is gonna betray me, and what does Peter say? Not me, no. I would rather die before I deny you. That's what, so confident. No, it's so cute, right? So confident. Oh, I'd die before I denied you. And the other disciples, what did they say? Same, same thing. Yeah, us too, what Peter said, right? Just a few chapters earlier, James and John are with Jesus. And they, they say, Jesus, we want to be at your right side. And Jesus says, man, you don't, you don't know what you're asking. You're not able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink. You're not able to go through what I'm about to go through. And they said, oh yeah, Lord, we can go through it. We can do that. And so these guys, full of bravado, so confident that they can do what Jesus is gonna do, so confident they would never deny Jesus. Jesus says, hey, stay awake. And he comes back and what? They're, they're sleeping. They're, they're asleep. And, and Jesus has to be thinking, you said you won't deny me. You said you could do what I'm about to do, but you can't even stay awake. What is going on with you guys? J.C. Ryle, he said that the sleeping disciples are a great proof that even the best of men are still but men. This would have been me for sure. Like, this is why my wife would make a better disciple than I would. Like, I would be... Jesus would be like, stay and watch. Man, he wouldn't even get away to the tree where he was gonna kneel down and pray, and I'd be, I'd be bobbleheading it off. I'd be, in, I'd be gone, right? And every time he'd come back, I'd do the same thing. My wife, she'd be alert, though. She'd be, she'd be there. She'd be focused. She'd be like, she's a rule follower. Jesus said, stay awake. We gotta stay awake. We gotta stay awake. I'd be out. Uh, that's why she would be better than me. Here's, here's what we gotta learn, though. Jesus talking to the disciples, preparing To face the unthinkable, Jesus tells his disciples to do two things. He tells them to watch and to pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. With us having the ability of foresight, we know what's going to happen, right? Here in the next few chapters. We know that Jesus is about to be betrayed. We know that Jesus is going to be beaten and and he's going to be mocked and he's going to be hung on a cross. And and we know that it's going to be a crazy series of moments that proceed from this moment. Knowing what the disciples would encounter as their leader and their savior, their teacher was beaten, crucified, and died before their very eyes over the next day. Don't you think it would have been beneficial in this moment that they be Watching, staying alert, and praying instead of sleeping. Peter, Peter, who over the next 12 hours would deny Jesus three times. Jesus, I'll die before I deny you. You want to bet? Three times over the next 12 hours, Peter does it. Wouldn't he be more prepared for that moment? Had he been watching and praying instead of sleeping? I say all this to say, I'm not against sleeping. I plan on taking a great nap this afternoon uh, as I watch my Detroit Lions get pummeled by the Dallas Cowboys. But 
There are times, church, when instead of spiritually sleeping, oh man, we need to be alert. We need to be praying. Listen, the best preparation for the personal crisis that we may face in our life is being spiritually alert and prayer-filled. We, we have to be ready for what we're about to face. And I think Jesus here is telling the disciples, aware of what they're about to experience, he's letting them know, the best thing that you guys can do right now is be spiritually alert and prayer-filled, to be ready, for, prepared for what you're about to go through and face. You see, being alert and prayer-filled, it helps us be courageous to face what's coming. Being prayer-filled and alert allows us to clearly see what's coming and then be courageous enough to face it. In Mark 13, 36, if we go back just another chapter, we talked about this scripture where Jesus is talking about the end times and his return, and he says, you know, you never know when it's gonna be. Nobody knows, and he tells them the same thing he tells them here. What's he tell them? He says, stay awake. Stay awake, because we don't know the time or the hour, and that is the same usage here, that we should be alert, not as a lookout waiting for somebody to come get us, but we should be aware that trials will come. A follower of Jesus, we should not be unaware that trials are gonna come our way, that this devil may try to trap us in schemes, that that he's out to get us. We gotta keep watch. We gotta be alert, and we gotta be ready for what is to come. So Jesus says to the disciples, you're gonna go through a lot over the next few days. You're gonna hear a lot. You're gonna see a lot. You're gonna have a lot of questions as you see me crucified, buried in a tomb, and you don't hear from me. For a few days, you're going to have a lot going on in your hearts and in your minds. And so he says, the best thing you can do as you prepare for this is to to watch and pray. To watch and pray so that we might be steeled for what chaos may come our way. So that we might watch and pray so that we too might be prepared to do what God has purposed for us to do. That we too might watch and pray that we might be willing to do what the Lord has willed for us, watch and pray, so that we too might be courageous enough to do what is necessary when the moment presents itself to us. I wonder what we ought to be watching and praying for even now in this moment. In our lives, in your life, I don't know what's going on in your life, I'm fully aware of what's happening in my life, What might we be watching and praying for in this moment? Are we too asleep? Spiritually asleep? Are are we at a critical juncture of our life and yet we find ourselves spiritually incapacitated instead of being alert? Have we become apathetic? Have we become indifferent toward the Lord? When right now what we need most is to be spiritually alert and prayer filled. I can't answer for you, only you can answer for you. I can answer for myself. I can answer for probably the American church in general and say yes, we are asleep. And Jesus is pleading with us today to to wake up, to stay awake to watch and to pray, to be spiritually alert and to be prayer-filled so that we might face what is to come with courage 
and confidence. What did Peter lack in that moment when he starts denying Jesus? He lacked courage and confidence. Courage and confidence is what we need, and we receive that when we watch and we pray. When we commune with our Father, when we connect with Him, when we relay our emotions, our feelings, our heart to Him, and He hears us. And we remind ourselves, and we remind Him, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. We walk away with courage and confidence. I know you're you're thinking it's not easy, Pastor Jeff. Maybe you think it's easy for me. It's not. It's not. I am... Every Sunday, like, it comes to a point, like Friday or Saturday, I'll say something to my wife like, how can, how can I get before other people and preach the word? My only hope is that I'm preaching the word. I'm not preaching to you my self-help. I'm not preaching to you, um, look at me, I got it all together. Uh, I'm preaching the word. And I hope you pick up the word today because I don't have it all together. I'm a, I'm a mess, a big a mess as, as anybody in here, okay? Um, but the word is our guide. All right? The word is what directs us. The word is what God has given us to find hope, to find meaning, to find life. So we find it in this and we find it in our relationship with him. And as we look at this, we see Jesus understands that for you and I, for us as human beings, it's not easy. It's not easy. Jesus says, hey, look, I, got it. I get it, guys. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How relatable is that? Have you ever wanted to do something, right? But just, you can't, you can't find, man, I, I want to lose about 30 pounds. But you know what? Oh, my flesh is so weak. And those cookies are so good, right? It's, just, it's hard. There's a lot of things I want to do. I want to learn another language, but you know, my flesh is so weak. I, I want to, but I, but I can't seem to. Jesus understands. He says the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Jesus knows that. And maybe that's the thing we need to bring to the Lord. Lord, I want to, I just, I just can't seem to. Jesus knows how you feel, but he also knows that you can. The spirit in us is definitely willing, and the flesh is so, so weak. But Jesus says, keep watch. Stay alert. Stay prayer-filled. J.C. Rowell says we should watch like soldiers on enemy ground, always on guard, always battling on behalf of the kingdom. What we need to do when he says watch, what Jesus means is that we need to be alert and we need to be morally vigilant. What is, it, what is it to be vigilant? That's a, kind of an old word. We don't use that a whole lot. I don't, I don't ever say that to my kids. Be vigilant, son. Be vigilant, my daughter. Uh, to be vigilant is to be careful. You know, Watch for potential danger and difficulties. I may not tell my kids to be vigilant, but I say, hey, look both ways before you cross the road. You know, be careful. You know, don't do anything stupid. Right? Watch. Be alert. Be aware of what's going on around us. And be vigilant. Look out for potential danger and difficulties. Look at Jesus' example here. He's going into this most critical, pivotal moment of his life, into the garden, praying, about to be betrayed. And what does he do? Let's learn from his example here. He's fully alert. He's praying to God. He, he seeks support of his friends. He brings three guys with him. Pray, pray for me. Pray with me. They're sleeping, but he, he tries to bring them with him, right? And then he focuses 
on the purpose that God the Father has for him. That's a great example for us when we're in these Gethsemane-type moments that we would seek the support of our friends, that we would be alert, that we would pray to the Lord, and we would focus on the purpose that God has given us above all else. Doing these things help you do God's will and not your own will. So Jesus was faithful. Jesus persevered. Jesus did what was necessary. He spoke earlier in his prayer. He said, man, if it's possible for this cup to pass, this cup was the the wrath of God that would be poured out on man, that, that he would face it, that he would take the brunt of it so that you and I didn't have to. We often think of the physical pain and death that Jesus endured, and yes, that is great, but also there was this separation from God that he experienced because of the sins that he bore that were not his sins, but they were ours. You and I, we've known separation from God because we were born into it because of our sinful nature. We recognize that that hurts, that has consequences, but let's think for a moment of what Jesus was about to experience, our sinless Savior about to experience for the very first time separation from the Father. He and the Father were one, always have been, always will be. But in this moment, as he bore the sins of mankind, he would find them torn apart, literally tearing himself from himself, the Father and Son separated by the sins of man. How much more painful must that have been? But Jesus, aware, fully, afraid, yes, proceeded to do what was necessary so that you and I wouldn't have to. We look at Jesus and how, how was he willing to do what was necessary? How was he willing to do that which was so impossibly difficult for any other person to do? I believe it was his praying that prepared him to do what was purposed to do. It was that moment in Gethsemane where he, he sat there and for three hours, you know, he sat in the presence of God and he prayed and he uttered to God and to himself, I, I don't want to do this, but Lord, not my will, but yours be done. I wonder how many times in that moment, in that time frame that Jesus would have prayed that. I wonder how many times we need to, to pray that. Through his praying, he mustered up the courage to do what was necessary and we should be forever thankful of that. He prepared his mind through prayer. His prayer strengthened his will to do the Father's will. How much more necessary is prayer to us? Human beings weakened by the flesh. Churches, we go through whatever chaos is going on in your life or what may come in your life. We must be people of prayer. People of prayer in in the peace, in the peaceful times. People of prayer, especially in the chaos. And that prayer, that time with the Lord will prepare our minds. It'll strengthen our will to do his will. We gotta be people of prayer, church. If there's one thing that, you know, for me, probably one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult, spiritual discipline for me, prayer it's just sitting in the presence of the Lord taking time to, to silence everything else in life silence distractions and notifications and 
concerns and worries and children and you know all these other things that are happening in life. It's, it's difficult for us. Maybe even physically it's difficult for us to stay awake, but, but church, may we practice the spiritual discipline of prayer so that we might be prepared for what the Lord has for us, that we might prefer his will over our will, that we might be courageous to do what's necessary when the moment arrives. We must be people of prayer. I don't know what you're going through right now, but maybe you're in a moment similar to this. I know some people in our church family are going through some very difficult times right now. And I would just ask, what are you doing when you're going through something that you don't want to go through? Are we just turning inside on ourselves? Are we throwing pity parties? Are, are, we, are we just losing our minds in fear and anxiousness? Or are we taking time to, to watch, to be alert, and to pray? What's your mindset when you're preparing to go through maybe a situation that you don't feel like you want to go through, that you don't feel prepared for, that you don't want to do? Jesus shows us to watch and pray to prefer the Lord's will over our will. We look at Gethsemane, we look at this time Jesus had there, and what we see in Gethsemane is this. It's where Jesus submitted himself to do the Father's will over his will. It's a place of pressure. It's a tough place to be. But listen, Gethsemane, whatever that is for you in this moment, it's also a a place of prayer. It's a place of submission it's a place that leads to action. So, so right now, I just want to take a moment. And if you want, I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to pray. If you want to bow your heads, close your eyes, you can do that as well. But let's take a moment and look at our lives, all right? Let's take just a moment. Whatever we're going through, whatever situation that we're in, let's just take a look inside and let's be real with the Lord. We can be real with the Lord Just as Jesus was real with the Father, let us do it today. God, this is what's going on in our lives. This is our pains. This is our hurts. This is our frustrations. This is our agony. This is our our worry. This is our fear. Lord, this is it. This is how we feel. And Lord, we're bringing it to you. We're bringing it to you because we know that, Lord, number one, you want to hear it. Number two, you can hear it. Number three, You want to walk with us through it. So, Lord, please, strengthen us, steal us, give us the courage we need to face what we're facing. Give us the the strength we need to be faithful in the midst of the storm. Lord, help us. It's a place of prayer that we're in right now, Lord, and we're praying to you for your help, for your guidance, for your direction. And Lord, we confess this, that we want your will above our will. And Lord, we also come to this place because it's a place of submission. Lord, we pray to you today that your will would be done in our lives. And Lord, that we would trust you. We would trust that you know better than us, that you see more than us, God, that you have our our best in mind. Lord, we trust you today. And so in faith, we say, not my will, but yours be done. And then lastly, Lord, 
we know that this place is a place of action. So Lord, we come to you right now and we pray, God, that you would show us, teach us, inspire us, Lord, that you would help us to know what it is that we need to do from this place that we're in and this this place in our life right now, Lord, what do we need to do? What's next? Lord, we're not asking for a blueprint. We're just asking, Lord, for what's next so that we can take that step of faith and we can follow you as we seek to do your will. Lord, help us this morning. Lord, lastly, I just want to pray over those in our church family who are overcome this morning literally feeling as if they were in the olive press, being pressured and extracted and squeezed. And Lord, they, they're hurting this morning. Lord, I pray that your presence be with them. I pray that your peace that passes understanding would be upon them. I pray that your strength, Lord, would guide them, your wisdom would lead them. Lord, I pray that you would help them to fight the temptation to go everywhere else and to go to you first and foremost, that you would help them to be watchful, to be alert and to be prayer filled in the days that are ahead, that you might see them through and they might come out of this time, this Gethsemane in their life with a great testimony as to the faithfulness of the Lord. God, we pray these things today in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. We really hope you enjoyed today's message. Don't forget to take a second to subscribe to our podcast so you stay up to date with the newest messages from Skyline Church. If you'd like to explore more resources or donate to any of our missions, please visit our website at skyline.church. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a review. Not only does it help us stay connected to you, but also helps others find this podcast. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time.